Let me just give you a chance right now. If you've not received your journal, there are plenty of them at the doors in the foyer. If you'd like to get up and go get it, uh, you have my permission. Not that you needed my permission. You go ahead and take your bathroom break. Go ahead and get your journal. And uh, we will be ready to study together. I love what we're going to do. I really love summers at Landmark. Despite the fact many of us travel like we were last week, uh, there's so many exciting things going on. Our teenagers have already been on a couple of great trips. Our youth, our children's ministry, man, you need to be here on Wednesday nights to watch VBS. It's quite the event to watch. So much is going on. And one thing I want you to know about this summer is that in the month of July, we purposely schedule a break in our small group ministry. If you're new to us, we have two different kinds of small groups. One are what we call life groups, which are home-based groups that mostly meet on Sundays. The other are ABC groups, which are building-based groups that meet on Wednesday night. And so periodically, we try to, to give everybody a break, all of our leaders, all of our child care people. Something we tried to learn through COVID was that it's good every once in a while to have a break, not too long of a break, but some kind of break to spend more time with your family and be refreshed. So the month of July will give us an opportunity to have that break. It'll give us an opportunity to reorganize small groups, to train more leaders. Guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a lot, a lot of new members right now, and we need more and more groups. And the month of July will be our time to prepare to relaunch groups in August. So, hope you've got your journal. Here's the title to our message series, Living Holy Surrounded by Hostility. That almost sounds a little bit over the top until you look at what's going on in our culture today. Uh, Write this down if you're taking notes or write this in your journal, journal. Here's our new reality. Many people are not just disinterested in Christianity, they are openly hostile to it. Guys, there's always been lots of people out there that don't give a flip about what we believe and about Christianity. But what has changed over the last few decades is now there is just open hostility. Just to mention the word, the Bible, or the church, or even Christians, or even some of our core beliefs is in some parts of our world an invitation to hostility. So our question is, How do we navigate this new world that we've woke up to? I mean, just listen to some of the things that people are facing, maybe even you. Some of you may be pressured at your work spot to endorse causes that are against your values. Just look at what's happened to Target the last few months. Your grandchildren and your children are indoctrinated by culture and even by schools with dangerous beliefs about sexual and gender identities. We're compelled to use certain forms of speech, even certain pronouns you must use that contradict science and biology. Female athletes are now challenged to have to compete against male athletes. Teenage And college Christians no longer practically believe that sex belongs in marriage. And if they do believe that, they possibly are ridiculed. And so many of us feel, whether we're watching Hollywood or going to a major university or even from our own government, we feel like we're being ridiculed for our beliefs. And guys, it used to be we in the South could say, well, that's just 
that happens up north or that happens at these liberal universities. Well, guys, it's happening in communities all around us. Just a small community here in the central Alabama area just recently had a a magazine cover that to some of us might be offensive, but yet you would think it was accepted. Now, think about these two billboards. See how blatant it's gone. Look at this one from this past Christmas. Just skip church. It's all fake news. Who would have thought 40 years ago we'd ever see that? Or here's another one. Don't believe in God? Join the club. Now, here's what I want to say to you today. This is so important because we can all feel sorry for ourselves and all get really despondent. But this hostility is not new. It's not new at all. In fact, to live in a culture where there's not hostility toward Christians is what is unusual. What we've lived in over the last couple hundred years, that's what's unusual. In the history of the world, normally there's been great opposition to Christianity. So take your journal, journal out, and we're going to thumb through First Peter just for a moment. And I want to show you some of the words used here that would tell you they're under opposition. Now, you're going to also see these up on the screen. On the screen, it's going to be from the NIV. In your journal, this is the English Standard Version. I wish I could tell you I did that on purpose, but I blew it, okay? So, look at chapter 1, verse 6. He says that these people are suffering grief. In your Bible, take the pen out of the pew in front of you and circle the word grieved. If your pen works this morning, you're a very blessed person in this church, okay? So, so, so take your pen out. Circle the word grieved. Chapter 1, verse 6. Go over to chapter 1, verse 17. This is your time of your exile. Well, what does it mean to be exiled? It means to be barred from your native country. These people are living in a position where they feel like they're not even in their own country. Do you ever feel that today? I think many of us do. Continue to flip through this wonderful book. Go to chapter 2, verse 11. He again calls them exiles, sojourners, foreigners. You ever feel like you're a foreigner in your own country? Go on to chapter 2, verse 19. In the ESV, it says you're suffering unjustly. These people are going through a lot of persecution and unjust suffering. Continue to flip. Go to chapter 3, verse 14. You suffer for righteousness' sake. You ever feel like you're ridiculed, you're picked on, you're looked down upon because you're doing absolutely the right thing? Look at verse 16 there in chapter 3. You're slandered. You know, I like the way the New International, you're malicious. They speak maliciously against your good behavior. ESV, they revile your good behavior. So not only are they just opposed, but when they see you doing the right thing, you might even be in trouble on that. Chapter 4, verse 12, you're going through fiery trials or a fiery ordeal. Verse 14, you're insulted. Again in verse 16, you suffer as a Christian. And then we get to chapter 5. And it, he says, guys, this isn't just going on with y'all. This is going on with Christians all across the world. You're suffering the same kind of experiences by your brotherhood throughout the world. I like New Living. The family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. How bad is it? When we get to the end of the book, he says we're living in Babylon. Well, what's Babylon? That's when God's people were exiled and, and treated the most cruelly. 
And he says, and this is probably referring to Rome here, we're living through that again. So how do we navigate this? Now go back and circle one more word with me. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1, which I think may be one of the most important words in this book, and it is the first word, which is Peter, okay? Okay, first of all, let me show you this picture before we go back to that Peter. Here, you can see this cloudy picture. Go to, can anybody see the yellow stripes? Okay, good. I see people in the back row back there. That's pretty impressive. You ever driven in the fog and and, and you're trying to, to, to not be disoriented? You're trying not to run off the road. You're trying not to crash into someone, but you can barely see in front of you. You're so disoriented. So you, you focus on these yellow lines. If I could just find the yellow line, if I could just understand where I, then, then I could be okay. And as we read the book of 1 Peter, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the yellow lines. We're looking for how do we, in the middle of a hostile culture, how do we stay on the road to God? That brings me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And that is verse 1, which did mention Peter. And so we're also going to look at what we must know, okay? What do we know? That's what Peter's going to talk about here. Now, let me go back to this for a second. Guys, I think it's so significant that this book was written by Peter. And let me just be honest. I've read the book of 1 Peter lots and lots of times. But I've skipped the first word, at least mentally, most of the times I've read it. Peter. Well, what's the big deal? The big deal is Peter is probably the ultimate example of someone who fell into pressure about being a Christian. And Peter's the one who won't even admit that he knows Jesus. And when Jesus is on the cross, he runs. And so how ironic that the book to help us to stand up under cultural pressures is written by the one who blew it. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That says anybody can be that person who stands up and is strong in the middle of this. I love that part of this book. So, what's Peter going to tell us as we open up today? He's going to tell, tell us what we must know. Here's some things you need to know if you're going to stand up and be strong. So, let's read the first nine verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. Here we go. Peter, again, that's significant, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of dis- dispersion. In other words, they're scattered. He's talking about five different groups of Christians that are scattered and they're feeling all alone. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood. All three parts of the Trinity are involved in our salvation. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, 
Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this. Though you have not seen him, Peter's like, I got to see him. You're living your faith out even though you didn't see him. Though you've not seen him, you loved him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Man, those are power-packed verses. And what Peter wants us to know, living in this hostile territory are some very plain things. These are, these are the marks in the middle of the road to keep us going. Number one, God has a plan. All of this is according to the foreknowledge of God. Listen, when, when we look at what's happening in our culture today, someone, we may be surprised, but what I want you to know today, what Peter wants us to know, is that this is not surprising God. This is part of the story. And I love how he begins the book by saying, hey, it, it, it's all of the Trinity that's writing this story. You've got the foreknowledge of God the Father. Listen, God is different than us in that he is not limited by space or time. Just like you and I can, can look back at our life and remember things, God has the ability to look forward. I don't believe that means that God has determined everything. It's simply that God knows everything. And so God knows the gist of history. And in the middle of this, he talks about being sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. Jesus comes and he secures our salvation through his blood. And then we also see a key word in this book, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. What's the word sanctification mean? It, it's, it's the same word that we get the word holy. Next week we'll talk about holy, okay? And, and what he's saying is, you've got God who's working this plan, You've got Jesus who's executed the plan on the cross, and we've got the Holy Spirit who continues to move us and shake us and change us to sanctify us so that we're like Jesus. And so I, I love how one person put it. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about story. And guys, when you think of the word history, I'd like you to break that word into two. History is his story. Say that with me. History is his story. We're a part of this story. So first of all, God has a plan in the middle of this. Second, we are his people. By his mercy, we have been born again. We have a new identity. Guys, anytime you face difficult times, if you know who you are, you can handle them much better. If Satan can confuse your identity, if you're not sure who you are, or if you are sort of going back and forth between two different opinions of yourself, you are super vulnerable to sin. But if you know I am a born-again Christian, my identity is not found in America, it's not found in our culture, it's not found in my job, it's not found in my money, my identity is found in him, then you've got something. Let's take a preview just for a second. Look over at chapter 2, verse 9, when he really lays out the identity. I love this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. I love what Michael said during communion this morning. Because every week, man, when we come to this point, we know we need grace and mercy. And he says, we've received it, and because of that, we are his people. We're his people. In the middle of this, we can bemoan and get sad, or we can say, you know what? Romans 8, verse 31, if God be for us, fill in the blank, who can be against us? We're his people. And then number three, I love this, our inheritance is guarded. He goes to great lengths in verses 4 and 5 to explain our inheritance and how it's kept safe in heaven. As in a world where everything is changing, where good is now bad and bad is now good and up is now down and down is now up. I mean, we live in a confused world. We live in a world with breakneck changes. Some of them good. Let's don't get too negative here. Some of them not so good. We need the security to know that our salvation, our eternity, like the NLT would say, is guarded beyond the reach of change and decay. Don't you love that? That No matter how crazy this world is, how shook up it gets, we have an inheritance that will never change. You know, we think about safety. The safest place, I would guess, in our country would be Fort Knox. Fort Knox is a place where we store $137 billion worth of gold behind a 22-ton door. And for you to get there would be extremely difficult because we want to guard that. So before you ever get to the huge safe, you'd have to get past armed guards and Apache helicopters and infrared cameras and video and concrete barriers. But you'd have to get through that just to get to that inheritance. But once you got there, the only way to open up that door is with a combination. And guess what? Nobody knows the combination. Ten people know parts of the combination. And the only way to open Fort Knox up is for all those ten people to come together. It's so guarded. We say it's safe. Because let me tell you, one day Fort Knox will melt with fervent heat. But this is what I want you to know about your inheritance in heaven. It will never, ever decay. That's why you can visit with a brother like many of us were blessed with this week, Gary Mitchell, one of our brothers. I don't know how many of you know Gary. For years, Gary has driven from Louvain, Alabama and back every Sunday. And one of the most encouraging parts of our church, he's been stricken with cancer very bad. He's under hospice care. I understand he may have two days to live. And when we visited with him on Wednesday, I wish you could have heard, past all the pain and past all the morphine at this point, just the hope that he has, the knowledge that he has, that he's going to go and be with Jesus. In fact, he told a friend, I got a text yesterday, I think I'm seeing Jesus already. Because that's the assurance we have 
Then number four, this is really cool to me, our suffering has purpose. As, as he goes through this whole book, he talks about suffering and ordeals and trials and issues over and over again. And I guarantee you, most everyone in this room right now, you, you've got some kind of suffering. You've got something in your life that's not so good. You've got something that's plaguing you, bothering you. If you're not careful, stealing your joy. But here's the promise of this incredible book. God will never waste your suffering. In fact, if you do what I've been doing this weekend, just reading the book all over again, you will begin to see all the purposes of suffering. We saw in chapter 1, it will prove the genuineness of your faith. And when people see that, they'll bring praise to God. Uh, Later, he talks about people in the middle of this, despite the fact you're under persecution, they're going to see your good deeds and they're going to praise God. He also says in here, in the middle of your suffering, you will, and I love this phrase, you will share in the sufferings of Christ. I'm I'm telling you guys, suffering properly looked at will bring you closer to Jesus Christ more than anything else in your life. In the middle of suffering, Peter says, God's going to bless you. In the middle of your suffering, there's going to be people who are going to be so blown away that you've got joy in the middle of suffering. Joy is not based on circumstances. You've got joy in the middle of suffering. They're going to ask you to give a reason for your hope. Because anybody can be happy and joyful when everything's going their way. That's any of us. But when we're going through a tough time and we're suffering and we have the joy of the Lord, that causes people to go, there's something different about you, dude. How can you handle this this way? I know, I know you're not excited about what's going on, but somehow you've got joy in the middle of it. So it helps to win people over. He even say, in the middle of this, it'll help to win a husband over by a believing wife. And then number five, what does he want us to know? Better days are ahead. Better days are ahead. That's really what he's explaining. And I don't know where you are right now, but here's what I do know. You can endure anything if you have hope. What is hope in Scripture? Hope is a confident expectation. Hope in Scripture is not, well, I hope my team wins. I hope, you know, interest rates go down. No, no, no. Hope in Scripture is better than that. It's a confident expectation. And what Peter knows to these brothers and sisters who are under the gun is that if they have hope, they can make it through anything. History's proven this. One of my favorite stories is after World War II when the Allied troops went through Europe after the awful Nazi reign, there were all kinds of orphans. And so one of the first things we had to do in rebuilding those country was to build orphanages to take care of these children all around these countries. But even if we built the orphanage and it was fully staffed and it was nice and they had plenty of food, they noticed the little kids could not sleep. They had lived through too much. 
They didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. And so here's what we did. I don't know who thought of it, but it was brilliant. Before those children would go to bed, every one of them was given a slice of bread. He's like, what? Listen, they were not given the slice of bread to eat. They were given the slice of bread to hold on to. Because what that said to the children is that tomorrow morning when you wake up, there will be food. And my friends, what Peter is trying to say to us is that these are the things that we must hold on to, the things we believe. This is in the middle of God's plan. We're his people. We've got inheritance that can never be taken away. We have suffering, yes, but it's playing a purpose. Better days are ahead. Guys, this is, this is such good news. Go back to chapter 1 with me a moment. Peter says, man, what I've just told you, prophets and angels have wanted to know this for a long time. They've wondered how this was going to happen. Look at verse, verse 10 with me in chapter 1. After he said all of this about what we've had, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Look at this one. Things into which angels long to look. Oh, the prophets had some ideas. The angels had some ideas. But they really didn't know the plan. It was a mystery. And those of us now who are in on the plan, Peter says, you guys are blessed beyond belief. Now, remember we were studying a few months ago about how the cross and the resurrection surprised Satan? That Satan had some knowledge of what was going on, but he never thought that he could kill Jesus and him come back. And so it seems to me reading scripture, Satan was blown away by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, 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 did, he thought he had won. Because not only was Satan a little bit in the mystery about this, so were the prophets and angels. And Peter says, guys, now that we know this, now that we know what we have, now that we know what our future has, now we know that we're secure, my goodness, we are so very blessed. And because of that, here's my challenge today. We can stand up and be strong in a hostile culture. In fact, we take note of it when it happens because we know what our culture's like. I want to show you a clip right now of a Oklahoma Sooner softball player who was asked about winning and losing. You may have seen this, but it is so inspiring. Watch this. Alex, ESPN, for, for the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious, it's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, 
just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the call. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series. But I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ, and that's all that matters. Yeah, um... I think a huge thing that we've really just latched on. Let's, let's give a hand to those young girls, okay? I mean, think about this. This is a team in the middle. They won a national championship after that was played. This is a team that's in the middle of the longest winning streak in college softball history. And yet they can say, no matter how many wins we, we have, that doesn't bring joy. And we love that testimony. I want to show you another clip, and this one to me is even more amazing. And this is actually our gridiron speaker coming up on July the 27th. Most of you, when I say the name Dan Orlovsky, it may not mean anything to you. But when I say the guy that prayed on ESPN, you probably remember. And so the clip I'm going to show you is when Orlovsky, who's a former NFL quarterback, he's all over ESPN, he's on NFL Live, you probably remember the Buffalo Bills game when DeMar Hamlin has had a cardiac arrest on the field. They have to stop the whole game. They do, do not expect him to live. And Orlovsky, who's a Christian, does something you're not supposed to do in America today. He breaks out in prayer. And I, I've got friends who work at ESPN. It's an extremely liberal organization. And yet, watch what this man is willing to do. Football gave me everything. You know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like, thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, that like, we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for It him. is. Damar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that your God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. 
Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Could we all say amen? Amen. That took a lot of courage, my friend. Thank God he still got his job. You guys, what I'm saying to you and I today is, is we may not be on some countrywide show, but we're in front of people every day. And when we know who we are and when we know what we have, then our reality changes. We started the message saying our new reality is many people are not just disinterested in Christianity, they're openly hostile to it. How do we handle that? We live in our true reality, which is that we have a living hope. Not just a hope, but a living hope. It's alive, it's active, it's energized, it has life to it. Because when you have a living hope, it affects everything we do in our life. We're not just out there sort of floating around with no purpose in our life. No, no, no. In the midst of a world that's turned hostile to us, we're able to display a hope that is alive and that is well and that's expressed. And and what Peter would say to us is it's based on the resurrection. Listen to the line back from verse 3. You're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why do we have a living hope? We believe that Jesus is alive. Why did Peter have a living hope after he denied the Lord? It's because Peter witnessed the resurrected Christ and could never go back. And so once again, guys, this morning I have great hope because if God can take Simon Peter with all of his frailties and failures, with him even denying the Lord, and allow that man to now say, God, here's the way to be bold in a hostile culture. Let me say, he could take you and I. We're about to sing a song of invitation. And this morning, here's what I want to say to you. If today you, you're, you're feeling hopeless, meet us on this front row. I, I guarantee you, there's a lot of hopeless people sitting in this audience. I don't know what's caused it. It doesn't really matter what's caused it. But while we're here together is to say, let's put some hope in each other. Or maybe these hostile pressures from culture have caused you to actually compromise the things you know that are true. If you're a young teenager, college student, young single, I cannot imagine the pressures you're under right now. Man, let our church support you. One thing we've been praying about is this front row would become a safe place again. And over the last couple of weeks, we have seen this, and we've actually made a decision that during our time of prayer, we cut off the live stream and do something different. Because we want you to feel that this is a safe place. And so today, if Peter is speaking to you, and you need this church to surround you in the middle of this hostility, or to pray for you about your hopelessness, or your family, then please don't hesitate. As we sing this incredible song about having a living hope, meet me on this front row, and before we walk out of this place, we will pray for you. Come right now while we stand and sing. How great the-